What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hour two, welcome back to the National Football Show with Boy Dan Silio. Yeah, I just retweeted out if you go over to at Dan Silio Show, Jacob Media. Carson Wentz will play week one, according to Frank. They're rolling towards week one. Many people, including myself, I was saying more like six and seven. That was the initial diagnosis. And if you remember right, Two Fridays ago, we were the ones that broke the story that he was going to go under the knife. Obviously, the rehab is going better than what people had thought, and his recovery is coming along. It's always great when you're young like that. Okay, This is one of the things that really stops the veteran guys from coming back because when you're in your early 20s, recovery is just like it's like that. You're, you're able – like my, my rookie year in the NFL – I had a knee scope and I had to get a piece of cartilage uh, taken out of my knee. I played that Sunday. I got hurt later in my career. I was up in Canada and I got hurt uh, later in my career. Man, it took three weeks to get back from that. It's just your body just takes that time and needs that time as you get older. So, yeah, man. By the way, Howard Balzer will join us from Sports Illustrated. He's a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. He will be at the bottom of the hour. We will go all around. We'll ask him about Carson Wentz. Looks like now he's going to go week one of the NFL season. You know, it's funny. I get I get asked questions all the time, especially because we have an affiliation with the great folks in Philadelphia, our, our channel, our show here. And I get asked the question about Hurts all the time. What do you make of him? And I've told people, I, I think he is a great kid. I think he had a spectacular college football career, but so did Tim Tebow. You know, so did Tim Tebow. So did Tommy Frazier. You know, so did some of the great players in the history of college football. Have Charlie Ward, who we had on yesterday. I think Charlie Ward, if I'm not mistaken, was 24 and one, won a Heisman and a national championship. That would, doesn't mean you're going to translate that into a NFL career. Now, do I think Jalen Hurts is a tomato can? No. I don't. But I think you have to understand the culture of that building. Did you not watch what happened at the end of the year when they yanked him and put some nobody-nothing in at the end of the game? At the end of the year, where that kid could have got critical playing time. 
and they yanked it. Don't you think that that would have been a set? He needs, I was just telling Ken here, who's following along with us here, Jalen Hurts needs as much playing time as he can feasibly get. So when you're talking about the exhibition season here, I, I, I mean, your your head coach came out three days ago and said, we're not there yet on naming him the starter for the year. And fast forward three days, he's still not there. Now, am I saying Joe Flacco's going to beat this kid out? Highly unlikely. But I guarantee you this, Nick Sirianni feels more comfortable with a veteran quarterback. Who was he dealing with last year? He was dealing with a guy like Phillip Rivers. I'm going to tell you guys something once again about quarterbacking. And this is why Jalen Hurts is still in kindergarten. When you're a quarterback in that league, there are so many other intangibles besides your drop, besides finding the receiver. It, it's, it, it, it's about knowing every single position on the field. Let me tell you something. If you ever get a chance to go and watch – you know, the NFL did that top 100 players of all time, and they did the top 100 players in the history of the sport. And they had Ed Reed, Peyton Manning, Bill Belichick, all in the same room. And get this. This is what we're talking about, how far behind Jalen is and what he's got to learn to play the position. By the way, Mahomes is probably a little bit ahead of Jalen, but he's just a God gift. God put his hand on Patrick Mahomes' shoulder. And that kid's a special player. He's the best quarterback talent I've ever seen. Ever seen. And he's still learning the position, which is scary. But just to give you insight on what a quarterback has to know when he goes into a game. This is out of Peyton Manning's mouth, and I'm paraphrasing it here. Manning had been watching game film because you got to remember Colts and Ravens. That was a pretty good rivalry during Peyton's time, right? Ed Reed, in my opinion, is the greatest safety that's ever played in pro football history. Not only was he a tremendous safety, he was a tremendous special teams player. He was a tremendous special teams player in college. He's one of the greatest college football players. Ed Reed's one of the greatest football players that's ever put a pair of cleats on. At any level. And that's just not me talking because he's a hurricane. He's the greatest safety that's ever played. And it's not just because of the great gifts he has physically, but it was this stuff and how smart he was. So he's watching three games of Ed Reed and how Ed Reed covers a seam pass. Ed knew that Peyton was going to be watching the last three games on how Ed covered the seam pass. So you know what he did? He decoyed him. In the game previous playing the Colts, and he decoyed him, lining up in a different position. And when Peyton saw him, he said, there's no way he's getting there. He immediately sprinted there to the spot that Peyton was going to throw the ball. Because remember, Peyton didn't have the strongest arm on the planet. He did everything by preparation almost. And you can see 
on the game film and you could see it on the clip, Peyton going like this, damn. And when those two guys got in the room together, Peyton goes like this, you set me up from the previous game and you guys were playing the Titans, didn't you? He goes, yeah, because I knew you'd be watching the film and you knew that's how I covered the scene pass. What I was going to do is give you a disguise coverage and we disguised coveraged it knowing that I'd have help over the top with the corner if you did decide to go to the opposite side of the field and you didn't see your guy open. And so he set him up. Quarterbacks have to know all the positions on the field and your responsibilities. When you're in college, you don't need to know any of that. You don't need to have any of that. But Reed was so brilliant and so smart a player he used to set these quarterbacks up because when you play against Tom Brady, you think lining up just in a normal 43 defense or 34 defense, that's going to be good enough to beat Tom Brady. If you think that, you're out of your mind. And where I'm going with Jalen is this. The little game film that they got on him last year, what do you think coordinators see in him? He's not very accurate, and his p- p- completion percentage was around 51%. Okay. What are they going to do to him? Well, they're going to bring pressure, and they're going to move him around, and they're going to move him off a spot. He's a spot quarterback right now. And what a spot quarterback is this. Every quarterback has a spot. When you played against Kurt Warner, get him off his – Monty Kiffin taught me this, the former defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Get him off his spot. Jimmy Johnson too, man. Dave wants that. All these guys. Getting a quarterback off his spot. Kurt Warner loved to go to his right stand. Warner hated going to his left. He couldn't really do it. Jay Cutler couldn't go to his left. Marino hated moving around in the pocket. Every quarterback has a particular spot in the pocket that they want to get to. Very rarely do you have people win ball games out of the pocket. You could maybe win regular season games, but you're not going to win against those high-powered defenses and those technically sound defenses. That's why Lamar Jackson struggles in the second season. It's because those coordinators are usually with the best units and with the best corners and free safeties. And there's a pass rusher usually on that team. So, Jalen, I mean, again, fans sit back and they go, hey, this guy's got to be better than Wentz. That doesn't necessarily mean, are you saying he's more, he's, he's more athletically gifted? That could easily well be. I don't believe that. But when you play that position – in the league, man, you've got to know every position on your on your football team, and I'm talking about your offense, and when you're scouting the defense that you're playing, let's just hypothetically do this, okay? Check it out now. So this is what Jalen's going to be facing in week one against, I believe it's Atlanta, right? New head football coach, which means a new scheme. That may play into his – that may play into his favor because why? Well, the defensive guys that are in Atlanta, they're still trying to figure out what the hell is being asked of them, too. And so when you change new schemes, this is what hurt Dallas last year. They went from a 43 front to a 34 front, not having the personnel. And when you hired a guy in a fossil like Mike Nolan and you put that guy in the room, you're automatically going to put him at a deficit because you don't have the personnel because you don't have a pass rusher. Randy Gregory? And Alden Smith, that's not going to quite cut it when you're talking about trying to get to a quarterback. 
They didn't have the personnel to go to a 43. They didn't have the personnel to go to a 34. Three front, four linebackers. I don't want to sound too technical to you, but that's why when people ask me questions all the time about quarterbacking and do you think this guy can play it out and do you think this guy can can do you think this guy can end up really being a good player? I don't know. I have to see guys getting better mentally every year. It's not so much about the physicalness on you getting better. Now watch this. Here's another guy. Now let's see what Justin Herbert, and I'll say this to you too. You know, in defense of Tua Tagovailoa in Miami, you know, the one thing Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow did before Joe Burrow got hurt in Cincinnati last year, what was the big advantage that those guys had? They were always throwing from behind. You you were never really throwing. Playing quarterback when you're winning games or you're in games versus playing quarterback when you're out of games and you're constantly chasing. I mean, those those numbers and those yards and those touchdowns, if you're 4-12 and 12 and you've been chasing a team and teams in the NFL all year long, those numbers are hollow. Like they were with Dak Prescott until he got hurt. Those numbers were hollow. You were still 1-4. And, and you had a miraculous come from behind win against Atlanta last year. All of those numbers, they didn't matter. So when Herbert now is going to be expected to win, you're not going to be sitting back throwing the ball 50 times a game. Every defense is going to dictate what you can do and what you can't do. And again, this is all about the process of learning the position. Now, look at the Eagles again when you're talking about Jalen and what he has. Devontae Smith? He's got to figure it out. Oh, and by the way, you know those wide open spaces that he was running around in college? They ain't going to be there. I don't care what you think. They're not going to be there. Well, he's a spectacular. Haas, okay. Spectacular? Really? You're in the league of spectacular. Every player that's in the league is spectacular. Okay? I mean, well, you know, he's – no, he's nothing yet. Well, maybe. Well, yeah, maybe. That's like Jimmy Johnson said at his Hall of Fame induction speech. I'm not a dreamer, okay? I'm not a dreamer here. You know, I look at things, and we try to make it happen right now. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what he does. Because every coordinator now, and, 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 and to your point, I'd play him as much as I could without endangering what I'm trying to accomplish in the exhibition season. You don't want to throw him out there and get him killed in the first exhibition game because exhibition games one and four usually don't matter. But he's behind. He, 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 he's not your starter. He's working to be your starter. You know, when you have somebody like Tom Brady or you have somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, that's a different conversation. You don't have that guy in Philadelphia. Hell, you don't have that guy in New York. You know what? You have that guy in Washington. If I was on the Washington team, I'd be doing this. I'm pretty comfortable with the guy we have. He's going to at least give us a shot to win ball games. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick could do this any given weekend. He could throw for five touchdowns or five picks. That's who he is. And when he's hot and streaky, man, this guy's Eli Manning streaky. 
Okay? You know, everybody always looks at Eli and goes, well, he was a really good quarterback. Guy was 117, 117, and one as a starting quarterback in the NFL. This guy with five on a record. He's got two rings. Yeah, so does Jim Plunkett. So does Jim Plunkett. All right. I've got to hit on this. I was talking to the guys before we went on the air. I want to show you about wasted talent here. By the way, our friend Howard Balzer, we're going to talk to him from Sports Illustrated, also our Hall of Fame voter. Alden Smith, who was on the Cowboys last year, and I looked it up. I couldn't believe these numbers. Do you remember this guy when he was with San Francisco? I think his first year he had 19 sacks. Then the next year he had 16 sacks. This guy had 35 and a half sacks his first two years in the league. He was on pace to be Reggie White, and he was on pace to be like Bruce Smith. Fast forward, he missed four years because of conduct issues. Now the Seahawks are going to fire him. Alden Smith started 53 games in his NFL career. I think he's played in like 70 of them. And in those 53 starts, he's got 52 and a half sacks. There's only two other men that have basically had a sack in every single game that they've ever played in. Mark Gastineau and Reggie White. And this guy here is the John Jones of the NFL. He can't grow up. This dude here, man, you talk about ultimate train wreck. This is, you know, every time I see talent like this, he's a great pass rusher. I think he signed a one-year deal with Seattle. And Pete Carroll wanted it. All these coaches want to give him a chance. He just can't be trusted. That's now where, and by the way, I'm going to make a comparison to a guy that if he's watching, I pray to God he is. There's two guys right now currently, and Alden Smith and Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is straightening his life out because he's got a mentor in Tom Brady. Alden Smith doesn't want to listen to anybody. Alden Smith has decided to light his career and put it up in flames. There's not a football team, I'm promising you, there's not a football team in America that would not want this guy. I personally think Alden Smith is better than Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney has never had a double-digit sack year in his entire professional career. Do you know that? You know, I've always said this about Jadavian. The poster's a little bit better than the actual player. You know those movie posters that you throw out? The movie never really lived up to the billing. Because whenever I look at Jadavian Clowney, this guy's always barking for $20 million. But then I turn around and I go like this. You've never had a 10-sack year in your entire career? That speaks volumes for me. This guy, Alden Smith, had 35 sacks in two years coming out of the gate. This guy's got a sack every game he ever started. It's crazy. It's crazy great. Crazy great. All right. We talked a little bit about hard knocks. We also talked a little bit about some of the coaches that are on the hot seat. I'm going to go around the horn. Plus, my friend Howard Balzer was in Canton this past weekend. 
We'll get his overall thoughts on what he saw this past weekend. Also, the first exhibition weekend is coming up. We'll talk with our Hall of Fame insider, our Hall of Fame voter insider, Howard Balzer, next right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Dan Silio, National Football Show. Football season, isn't it? The heat. Really? By the way, my daughter's practicing right now for her upcoming D1, Division I rugby season at Grand Canyon University. She's going to be playing against Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, Brigham Young, all that. She's tremendous. One of the top rugby players in the country. 
And she's like, Jesus, dad, it's really hot. I go, yeah. Well, you're playing in Arizona. It's going to be about 120 degrees. She's like, man. I said, know this. When other teams come to your building, they're going to be completely saying, oh, man, also. But they're not going to be used to it. Take it as an advantage. One of the greatest advantages we had at the University of Miami was, I mean, I have never, and and by the way, it's clearly a young guy's sport because 98 humidity, 98 temperature, and when you're in Miami, it is without a doubt. And when when I did my training with the Buccaneers too, I mean it. I don't know how I got through all that. I did three a days, two a days. I mean, let me see. I played six years of football in the state of Florida. Oh, wait, counting the World League? I played eight years of my my football, some college and pro, in the state of Florida. And I will tell you, there ain't nothing like it. 98 humidity, 98 temperature, and you're going out there, man. And I'll tell you something. I remember our coaches, Coach Jimmy Johnson, Galen Hall, uh, Ray Perkins, all of them saying this. When these teams come to play either at Tampa Stadium or the Orange Bowl or at the Citrus Bowl, they're not going to be used to this. We're, we, we all used to just do this, man. It was true. When Notre Dame used to come down to the Orange Bowl or one of those teams from up north would come down, Michigan, whomever, Oklahoma, they'd come in and it was 100 degrees in the humidity. These guys, by the time they got into the first quarter, these guys were out of gas. And you're just sitting here doing this. Pretty hot, huh, Hoss? And the guys go, I don't know how you guys do this, man. This is unbelievable heat. I've never seen anything like it. I said, I know. Man, if we play those games, get this. We never played, or we didn't really like to play night games. We liked to play Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and some of these other schools, 1 o'clock Miami time. Right there, man, a little bit afternoon when the rain comes in, and then that that thermometer goes through the roof, that humidity's cooking. You walk out there, and you're like, oh, bitch, this is going to be hard. Those teams by the fourth quarter were out of gas, and that's one of the reasons why we laid it on them too. We just mowed teams over because we practiced and lived in that every day. I don't know how to – you know what? To the advantage of the Buffalo Bills. I always said this about the Minnesota Vikings. I did. I think when they put the top on the stadium in Minnesota, I think they took one of the greatest home field advantages away. You go up to Buffalo <laughs> in November and December. You go up to Green Bay and play a game in November and December, and you're not used to that kind of cold. Man, I'll tell you what. I feel like your fingers are falling off when you get hit. <laughs> you know, you you roll up there. My first time going up to Lambo. Man, it was twenty below. I'm like, Jesus Christ, You gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. By the way, you know, I talked a little bit about my top sixteen before we get to Howard Balzer here. 
Here are my top 16 teams in the country from my preseason poll. By the way, Howard's ready now. We'll do that after we talk to our good friend Howard Balzer and get his thoughts on what's going on this upcoming NFL season. I first have to start. You know what I love the most? Last week, I go to Howard. I go like this. Howard, hey, man, you got a couple minutes for me? He goes, uh, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm in Canton. and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm in Canton now. And, hey, just give me your overall thoughts, yeah. Howard, how that whole thing went last week. It, it was phenomenal. I mean, and this, this year even, I mean, it's the thing I look forward to quite honestly, every year. And it's one of the favorite things that I do uh, every year, not only going, but doing shows for Sirius. And of course, they had the moniker this year, twice the fun in 21. And every year I do a show for Sirius on Saturday, leading into the enshrinement uh, with Vic Carucci from Buffalo, another Hall of Fame selector. And so this year we had twice the fun because we had a show on Sunday also. And so what we do is we tape interviews with Hall of Famers on Thursday and Friday and play them during the show. And I also did my regular Pro Football Hall of Fame radio show. We interviewed 18 different Hall of Famers. I added it up. And, and that uh, of the players, we also interviewed Ron Wolf, the contributor, uh, Tom Flores. But of the players that we interviewed, a total of 237 years of experience in the NFL but what also made it so special, and you can see it in, in the guys coming back especially, how, how glad they were to be back after, of course, not having it last year. And so it's just a tremendous, tremendous uh, weekend. I did a weekend show that I normally do. I counted up, Dan. I did. I think I did a, in, from Thursday through Sunday, I did 11 and a half hours uh, of radio, which isn't, which isn't that much. But it all, that doesn't include all the taping of the interviews during the day. Thursday and Friday. So it's just tremendous. It was a little extra special for myself personally because of Isaac Bruce going in and was able to go to his party on Saturday night and able to see so many people I hadn't seen in so long. So I'll have to say it was like triple the fun in 21 that, uh, you know, that I experienced and so many others did too. It's just, it's just a great, great weekend that people should try to experience at least it should be on everybody's bucket list. Let's just put it that way. Howard, do you do you think that as the Hall of Famers get more removed from the year that they get inducted into the Hall of Fame, that they appreciate the fact that they are a select group? I saw the number and I heard the number that Chris Berman said that there's only been 26,000, like 780 some odd players that have ever played in the NFL over 101 years. And there's only 17,000 of us alive that have ever played in that game. And then you have that select group of a little bit over 300 guys right. who have been selected to the pro football hall of fame. Do you think it becomes more of a deal to them as they get more removed from the date in the year that they were inducted? Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think they, they, they grow in that appreciation every year. And there, there's one event during the week, Dan, or during the long weekend, if you will, from Thursday through Sunday that, isn't publicized very much because it's totally private and it's called the Nitschke luncheon. And it was begun when Ray Nitschke uh, was in the hall of fame and it's continued through the years with Deacon Jones uh, being the, the guy who kind of orchestrates it. Then after he passed, it's been Willie Lanier. And what they do is they have an exclusive luncheon that nobody else is allowed in it except for the hall of famers. 
and that includes the new players coming in. And they're not allowed to talk. They stay silent. But the Hall of Famers, whoever wants to speak, can and does. And people I talked to, and we talked about this in some of our interviews Friday afternoon after the luncheon, they said this was one of the best luncheons ever because that feeling of being there, of this fraternity, this team, the new team that everybody's on, and they communicated that to the guys coming in just how special uh, this is. And so it just grows year by year. Guys appreciate it more. And I'll tell you one thing, Andre Reid, who we talked to, the wide receiver from the Buffalo Bills, and he talked about how as you get further and further away from the disappointment in your career when you get to the Super Bowl four years in a row but don't win, there's more you, you gain more of an appreciation for still just that accomplishment of yeah. getting there four years in a row. And obviously you would have liked to have that ring. You would have liked to won. But that was a pretty incredible accomplishment getting there four years in a row. And he said that every year you appreciate that even more. So it's it, it, like I said, it's just a tremendous weekend. Before I get into some modern day news, I, I do want to throw this out at you. Of all the Hall of Famers on Saturday and Sunday that had their speeches, the one that blew me away the most was Harold Carmichael. I thought he was in 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I was telling my wife, I go, if that guy played in today's game, you couldn't cover him. This guy was uncoverable back then. I think he had like over a hundred games in a row where he caught a pass or something nutty like that. Yeah, and, it was the I record mean, at the time. He was yeah. just an absolute freak of nature on the field. And I thought that was cool. That was on the Veterans Committee, right? Am I right that they ended up selecting him or was that a blue ribbon? Yeah, that was, that was a blue ribbon committee. He was part of the 10 seniors that went in in that class that would have been enshrined last year. Let me ask you this question, final question on the weekend. You think Dick Vermeil belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I think he definitely does. And I, I, I'll say I'm biased because I was there with him in St. Louis and covering him and have gotten to know him. And there's no better human being, much less a football coach. But when you, when you look at what he accomplished with three different franchises, uh, taking over one team, the Eagles, that had – just over a 30% winning percentage for the previous nine years, turned the culture around, and in the third year made the playoffs, and then two years later was in the Super Bowl. Then he gets burned out in 82, leaves coaching for broadcasting, comes back 14, 14 years later with the Rams, who in the previous seven years had a winning percentage of a little bit over 30%, and in the third year has them in the Super Bowl. Then he retires, which he regrets to this day, comes back the year after, uh, after leaving the Rams, and goes to Kansas City. Now, the Chiefs weren't as bad as the Eagles and the Rams, but they were, they were kind of you know, less than 500. They were, they were just average at best. And in the third year there, he has them almost to the Super Bowl and losing just a crazy uh, playoff game to the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning. So here's the thing about it. When you look at his overall record, you see a winning percentage of about 520. However... If you add up just the winning percentage, Dan, from his third year on at all three of his stops, the winning percentage is over 65%. So that, to me, shows building a team. I mean, you look at you know Tom Flores, deserving. He took over a Raiders team that had been winning. 
Bill Cowher takes over Steelers teams that have been winning. And so here's a guy that took over three franchises that weren't winning and turned them totally around and into winners. So I don't think there's any doubt that he deserves to be in. I think it'll happen in the next couple of years now that they have a separate coach committee. And that finalist, by the way, will be named uh, on August 24th uh, for the 2022 class. And Dickel, and there's other great coaches on that list, whether you like Mike Holmgren or Dan Reeves or Tom Coughlin, whatever it might be. But Dick turns 85 uh, in October. And I, I think that would be a, a nice thing for the, for the coach committee, to, especially if it's close. You know, I'm not advocating, hey, put in guys, you know, uh, because they're old and who knows how long they'll be around. But if it's close and it's between one guy and another, go with that. Because the worst thing that can happen is when, as we've seen in the past, when you're enshrining guys who have uh, passed on. I think he's a complete Hall of Famer. And, um, you know, and I'm not throwing shade on anybody that's in, like you said. I had to Coach Flores on, and I've been an advocate for him to make it to Hall of Fame. You know, or a, a Bud Grant and those kind of guys. I know they got the Super Bowls. But you're going to try to tell me, and even Marty Schottenheimer to some extent too, 200 plus wins yeah. in his fabulous career. I would say this. I mean, man, Vermeil. I, I mean, he's truly one of the greatest coaches during my lifetime that's ever been in the league. So there's no question. I think he belongs. I want to get to coaching real quick, real quick. Schottenheimer turned franchises around too. Yeah, what happened is he, he didn't have that great success in the postseason, and I think that's unfortunate when we lay so much on that. I realize obviously how important it is to win. But when you're in the playoffs, you're playing the best teams. Uh, you know, you're, there, there's no four and twelve teams that you're playing in, in the postseason. You're all the best are playing against each other, and it shouldn't be looked at as shameful or 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 I think a knock on someone's career because they happen to lose in the playoffs many times to the team that goes on and wins the Super Bowl. Absolutely, John Madden didn't have the greatest postseason record. If you look at it, I mean, got beat. Then again, he was in an era of the Steelers. Yeah, the exactly. Dolphins. Exactly. I mean, so, hey, let, let, let me ask you about a guy in your neck of the woods. And is this fair to say Cliff Kingsbury is the worst coach in the NFC West? That's not that bad a deal. But are, are we looking at him potentially having a little bit of heat on him this year that he's got to win to Steve Kime and those guys? I mean, you're all connected together when you make a move and you hire a coach like this. Are these guys all under the um, watchful, eye of, watchful eye of the Bidwells this year? I think they could be, and they expect to be better. But the the obvious point is that that is a very difficult uh, division. And heck, the re reality with the 49ers, and I know they had in, you know, you can always use the injury thing, but they did get to the Super Bowl the one year when they had Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, but the other years have not been successful. Uh, John, uh, you know, Sean McVay, I mean, he th th this is a huge year, I think, for him because it was, it was only two years ago, Dan, that he said, Jared Goff will be my quarterback as long as I'm here. And they invested huge money in him and then traded the one speed threat they had on the team that helped them get to the Super Bowl, and that was Brandon Cooks. And then all of a sudden, after you know two seasons that weren't great, all of a sudden Jared Goff can't throw it down the field, but he didn't have anybody to throw it down the field to. So now they bring in Matthew Stafford uh, without much of a running game, especially after the injury to Cam Akers. And – they, they don't have a downfield threat unless unless anyone really believes that Deshaun Jackson can give them 16 games, which he hasn't been able to do for the last couple of years. And I believe he's 35. 
So there, there's a certain amount of pressure there for the boy wonder that gets all these accolades and, and obviously did have a lot of success coming out of the box. Uh, but with Goff and with Todd Gurley, who was a big part of that early success when he got there. And then when they made the changes on the offensive line that really improved them, I'm not totally sold on their line either. So I, I think this is going to be very interesting, I think, to see if the Rams can come close to living up to the expectations. But, you know, back to Arizona, yeah, there's, there's always pressure on head coaches. But here's the thing. He comes in, Kingsbury comes in after a three-win season, and they, which got him the first pick in the draft. And they improved to five, and then last year they improved to eight. Last year, the feeling, though, it should have been better because halfway through the season, it looked like they were probably going to be in the playoffs, and they, and they finished poorly. So they've tried to make the moves that they think will keep that from happening this year, but it's easy to talk about. You've got to go out in the field and do it. But if they're a better team, and he's so, he's so inexplicably, not inexplicably, but intertwined with Kyler Murray, that if Murray still has a good year and maybe, you know, maybe they win nine, maybe they're nine and eight, they don't get in the postseason. But I, I don't know that you would necessarily want to change when, when Murray has shown the growth that he has, assuming he continues to have that growth this season. I want to expand a little bit on what you're saying here, Howard. And I think it's important for everyone to hear when you're, what you're saying here, because like you said with McVay, we'll stay in the NFC West here. I mean, his first year as coordinator slash head coach, you know, they're number one in offense. Second year, they're number two. Very good. You're doing great. Talking Super Bowl. You get in there. You get out coached by Belichick. So be it. Third year, you fall to 11. All right. You're around 11 now. You're outside the top 10. Last year, you're 22. And I do think that the reason that Jared Goff was moved is because Sean McVay started seeing, hey, my job security light here. And my pilot light could be going out here because you make a trade for a guy that Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton have a better win percentage than. And not saying that Stafford is not in a horrible scenario in Detroit. You bring his butt there. And the other guy up north did the same thing. Outside of having Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is 24, I think it is, 24, 23, and 8 when he's on the field. Other than that, he's got a losing record as the head coach of the 49ers. They moved up to three because I think Kyle Shanahan started seeing the same thing you did where they went like this. I got to make a move at this position here because, quite frankly, people are going to be start doing this. You know, John Lynch can keep right. telling everybody how great we are, Super Bowl roster, but the record doesn't indicate that. You think those two coaches right there knew and they started seeing the writing on the wall that things were going south in their offense? Now, maybe a little different for Kyle because it was more injury-related. Exactly. But no. in the Rams situation, I got to think McVay went like this. Oh, I'd rather have golf gone than me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was a big part of it. But, again, my point is whoever the quarterback is, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily making the case that Jared Goff is better than Matthew Stafford. I mean, Stafford has had a lot of really good years in Detroit. He does have certain things. He can do some things that, that Goff can't, can't do. But the reality is they got to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. But then let's remember that year that Todd Gurley was limited at the end of the season, and he was a non-factor in the Super Bowl, which, you know, we can say he was outcoached by Belichick, but he didn't have Gurley. And, and so they score, they score three points. And so now, again, you look at the players around a quarterback. 
I, the first thing I thought when Cam Akers got hurt, because they were banking a lot on him, obviously, at running back, I said, the Rams are back to being what they were in the running game when Stafford was in Detroit. I, I, I checked it out once. In all his years in Detroit, Dan, I think they had one season where a running back gained 1,000 yards, and that was Reggie Bush with 1,006. And so this Rams running, running core, running back score looks to be pretty similar to what Detroit was putting out there. And I know it's a passing league, but you still have to be, I believe you still have to be able to run the ball. So teams won't just totally play the pass and not have to worry about the running game at all. And if you can, then you do that all of a sudden, maybe Matthew Stafford isn't as effective as everyone just believes automatically he's going to be. So I, I think that's, that, that might be the number one, there's a lot of intriguing storylines around the NFL, but that one's right there in the top five. I don't think there's any doubt about it to see if Stafford can do for that team whatever what so many expect him to do. Two last questions for you here. I want to take you to Baltimore here. And, you know, it looks like they're working on a new contract extension for Lamar Jackson. You know, I look at this guy and I go, 80% of the games he's played in, he's won. Against winning teams, he's 10-5. and five. And if you take out the Brady and the Mahomes game, talking about 10 and three versus everybody else with a winning record. I mean, do you think he gets up to the Josh Allen deal or do you think this is going to be a different type of hometown cooking and maybe a hometown break because he loves the organization. The organization gambled on him. It was Ozzie Newsom's last gift to Steve Biscotti there saying that this kid could be, you know, he's a different outlier type of player. He wants to get better. How do you see this thing compared to Josh Allen's deal? Where do you see him falling? Well, it's going to be in the same neighborhood. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And it doesn't matter, you know, sometimes the outside. Now, I, mean, I remember when Derek Carr signed his contract with the Raiders and people, oh, he's not worth all that much. He's not, quote, better than this guy who he just passed. Well, that doesn't matter. When, when teams are re-signing a guy and their quarterback because they know they have a guy that they can play for a lot of years, they're not evaluating whether he's better than this guy or that guy. It's you, ha you have to keep him. Yeah. Because if you don't, then where are you trying to find the next guy? And there's no guarantee that you will. And so that's the deal with Lamar Jackson. You basically have to pay the going rate. I don't know if that means a few dollars more than Josh Allen or whether it's just a little bit in the same neighborhood, who knows, who knows where it'll fall. But just like with Baker Mayfield, if you believe that this is your guy for the next 10 years, hopefully, then you do what you can to keep them, like the Cowboys did. It took them a couple extra years, but like the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott. Uh, quarterbacks are – obviously, we see teams chasing quarterbacks all the time. And so if you have one, to me, you, you, you just do what you have to do to keep them. And you try to get them signed sooner than later because if you wait another year, it's going to be more expensive than it would have been if you had signed them then. And the Cowboys saw that with Prescott. If they didn't be able to sign him a couple of years ago, probably would have been for less of a contract. Okay, I'm going to take you back to the Hall of Fame. I got three guys. I'm going to finish up with this. Three of my my you guys, okay? Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, and the unicorn, Devin Hester, are going to be eligible for the yeah. Pro Football Hall of Fame and for you guys to debate whether or not they're worthy to go in to that great place. Give me your thoughts on those three guys because – I think they're three Hall of Fame talents. Let, let, let's stay with the wide receivers first. 
uh, because Reggie Wayne's been a finalist a couple times along with Tory Holt. And Andre Johnson comes in as a first-time eligible in this next class, along with Anquan Bolden and Steve Smith Jr. So all three of those guys are probably Hall of Famers. However, I don't believe they jump the line. It's not like they're Calvin Johnson or Larry Fitzgerald, who who knows how many years down the line it'll be for him if he plays this year or not. But those type of guys jump the line over other guys who've been waiting. Those three that I just mentioned, I don't think will. And so I think with Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, who are really very similar receivers, I don't know that they both can go in in the same year. So it's just a matter of who the voters happen to vote for. Does Torrey go in and then Reggie or Reggie then Torrey? But I think they both will. Devin Hester is going to be a fascinating discussion if he makes it to the finals. And he's a first-time eligible next year also. You know, Steve Tasker has been a semifinalist I'd have to look it up, but it's been a lot of years he's been a semifinalist. Isn't and he like a nine-time Pro Bowler too? Something yeah, he's got like yeah. big-time Pro Bowls on his resume. And I, I would argue that a guy who should have been noticed before him and talked about was Bill Bates uh, of the Cowboys because he set the stage for those special teams cover guys that were difference makers. And so you can make the argument that Steve Tasker is Hall of Fame worthy at what he does, just like you can with Devin Hester. But I think it's only natural that when you start narrowing these votes down, when you're voting on 15 guys from the 25 semifinalists, and let's just acknowledge that Devin Hester makes the semifinals. Well, now you're voting on 15 guys. And what gets in guys' mind is, are you going to pick a guy who's a difference maker in what he does, but for eight plays a game, Yeah, whatever it might be, as opposed to offensive or defensive play, players that are out there some, some of them on offense for all the plays, uh, like what most wide receivers and offensive linemen, surely. Defensive linemen, not so much, but defensive backs, most of them are out there for a huge percentage of the plays. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about guys who are out there for anywhere from 60 to 75 plays a game. So how do you pick a special teams guy over one of those? And I think that's what hurts Tasker, and I think that could affect Devin Hester. Hester. And I remember, Dan, a few years ago when Ray Guy finally got in, and everyone said, oh, that's going to break the logjam for punters and special teams guys. And Morton Anderson did get in within the modern-day group, but he's a kicker. He scores points. Uh, punters don't, even though you can make – and I totally understand all the arguments. But Ray, Guy was, Ray Guy was a finalist, I believe, six or seven times within the modern-day uh, process. Then he went to the seniors, and when he was put forward by the seniors, he got in. And Why? because he wasn't taking the spot away from, quote, a regular player. And I think that's the tough thing we all have with special teams players when it comes down to that nitty-gritty of reducing uh, the list of uh, 25 uh, top players. Absolutely. Why choose Johnson, Bates, uh, Tasker, Devin Hester, all of those guys? Devin, Devin did make a point to me, though, on what you said. He goes, how many times do you think wide receivers touch the football a game? Five or six? Well, he goes like this. Yeah, but they're he out. He goes there. like this. He goes, I go, yeah, about five or six. They, they have about five or six catches. He goes, well, I had the ball about eight times, and I'm the all-time leading special teams touchdown man in pro football history. I changed the game so much so that they changed the kickoff rules because well, of me. Well, but you know, I th- well, a lot of the reason they changed the kickoff rules was for safety. Well, that's him know. barking. <laughs> right. but, my, my, but the point is, though, and he's right to a degree – on that because when Devin Hester was out there, even on those ones where he might not have returned the kick, 
teams accounted for him and kicked away from him. Well, same thing with receivers. Yeah, they're not getting huge number of targets per game, but when they're out there, defenses are accounting for their presence, the great ones. And so, and, and that's on a lot of more, a lot more plays than when a team is kicking or, you know, kicking off or punting. So I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's the key. And, and, I, and again, I'm not questioning at all his impact. That's undeniable, but it's an impact for not that many plays per game as compared uh, to a lot of other players. Hey, great pass rushers. Look at it this way, Dan, a great pass rusher might be on the field for, you know, let's say 700, 800 plays in a, in a season, maybe even more. And they get 20 sacks or that that's a lot. They get 15, yeah. 16 sacks. Well, that's a lot. But, but on all the other plays they're being accounted for. And, and, and so, so that that's all a part of the overall evaluation, but it, it just shows how hard it is and, and all the different things that we as a committee have to consider. I, I, I hate we have to end this here, but we do. And so we could go on and on here. Well, we could. Oh, I know we could, man. You know, I was talking before I let you go. I was, I was talking about Alden Smith. You know, Alden Smith, get this, started 53 NFL games. He's got 52 and a half sacks. He and Reggie White and Mark Gaston are the only guys with that number that every game they started, they basically had a sack in. Missed four years because of behavior issues and suspended because of – it looks like now Seattle's going to cut him too. You know, right. Howard, you see a Hall of Fame talent sometimes that just can't get on the field like a John Jones can't get in the octagon. It's kind of what this is here. That's a damn shame because that guy, if I'm not mistaken – he had like 19 sacks his first year in the league in San Francisco. Then he turned around and had 16 the second year. This guy had 35 and a half sacks his first two years, and now he's out of the league. And now he's probably not going to get another opportunity. I don't know what a waste of talent. And there, and you, you, you saw a lot of them when you were playing. Probably yeah. you see a lot of them come through. Like you said, all that physical ability, but for whatever reason, there are there's something missing. Whether it's in their work ethic or off the field things. Uh, or all that. I'll, I'll tell you one quick story. I remember the year that Alden Smith was being drafted and the Rams were looking for a pass rusher. Now they were drafting, I forget where they were drafting, but it was relatively high. And I think they traded down, I believe, and ended up uh, selecting Robert Quinn, or maybe that's where they were. But anyway, I remember talking to the Rams general manager at the time about Alden Smith and he just shook his head and he said, they had him in for a visit. And he said, he acted like the most entitled person he had ever experienced in huh. his years of talking with players. And there was just something about him that said, there's going to be an issue uh, with this guy. And he ended up to be totally right. Boy, if that was Charlie army, that wasn't going to go well with Charlie army. I it, can wasn't Charlie. it wasn't Charlie, but <laughs> it, it was definitely said to me. And, and, and the rant, you know, Robert Quinn, there's a lot of questions about him. He turned out to be, and he's still in the league. Yeah, um, just this, this many years. I think I forget. I don't remember what that year, what year that was, but it's it's been a it's been a while. And so, but here, like you said, here's Alden Smith, off and on, and was out of the game for as many years as it was, and just just can't stay out of his own way. It, it is a shame. There's no doubt about it. Do you get a special chair in Canton when you're there? Do the, <laughs> do the writers do the writers get one of those special chairs like the guys got when they were on stage? No, we don't. Uh, you know. <laughs> no, no, no goodie bag when you get there, like the players get. Not even a goodie bag. No, Damn. we just get we just get thanks. You know, they have a state of the hall that David Baker has on Friday morning. Did you get a meal? 
we do get a meal on Friday, the same time as the Nitschke luncheon. There's another luncheon that has some NFL people and the, uh, board of, the board of directors has their annual meeting right after that luncheon. So we do get invited uh, to that nice luncheon on Friday. But that's, that's pretty much uh, – oh, 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 and I'll tell you this. We all, for the enshrinement, we all were sitting one right after each other on the, front, on the first row uh, of the press box. So that, that was about it. That's that. At least at a Super Bowl, I get a I get a goodie bag. Howard, I gotta let you go. We could go on for hours, man. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for what you do for the NFL each and every single year by putting those fabulous people into Canton. Thank you, my friend. You mean a lot to me. Thank you, Howard. Appreciate it, Dan. Take care. You got it. The legendary Howard Balzer, who is one of the Pro Football Hall of Famers, as you can see, uh, takes it very serious. Hall of Fame voter that takes it very serious on who goes into Canton. I say this about Devin Hester. You know, that is going to be, like he said, one of the most interesting players to debate. Because you're right. I've told everyone, Miami couldn't find a position for the guy to play. He was a terrible DB. He was a terrible wideout. They did everything. He's so fast. They did everything in college to try to find that guy like a, a regular, they could never do it. The Bears couldn't. The Bears tried him at wideout. I think he was like their number three for a couple of years. And then they just realized, nah, that's it. Forget about it. You know, let's just get this guy in a game and what he does best. And that's, you know, punt and kickoff return. He was just spectacular. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens when he becomes eligible. Andre Johnson's going to be interesting too, because if you think Calvin Johnson's the first ballot, I surely think Andre Johnson's the first ballot. All right. I want to thank my friends, Krause and Cal. Great job as always. Big Joe, we really appreciate it. If you missed any of the show, do me a favor. Go over to the Jacob Media Channel, National Football Show. You catch us each and every single day, 4 to 6 Eastern time. Till then, we'll see you on the flip side. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.